United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. The Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, paid a visit to Kabul, Afghanistan, had to keep it secret because the security is not so great there. Last time he visited, uh, the Taliban bombed the airfield. I believe it was the airfield where he had appeared. But he was speaking with reporters a little bit about the goals and the strategy for moving ahead in Afghanistan. Uh, what is the campaign plan to gain uh, sovereignty, Afghan government sovereignty over its country, especially its major population centers? Uh, we've uh, seen the Taliban hit somewhat of a rocky patch back in August where they've not made progress. They, uh, we anticipated they would switch to uh, high visibility attacks on, on the innocent. Uh, the Afghan forces have blocked a number of these attacks. They've not blocked them all. Uh, but I want to see what they're doing to block these kinds of attacks as we shift to a or uh, offensive mindset uh, going into the fighting season. A small part of a much larger conversation. Perhaps we can put it in better perspective with our guest, John, Johnny Walsh, who is a senior expert on Afghanistan. He spent 10 years as a diplomat with the U.S. Department of State, most recently as lead advisor on the Afghan peace process in the Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs. He is with the United States Institute of Peace. The Twitter handle is at USIP, and he is here with us. Johnny Walsh, welcome. Thank you for being on POTUS today. Hi, thanks very much. How would you characterize the U.S. position now as we are nearly at 17 years involved in Afghanistan, either in the war or in the rebuild process afterwards? Well, I think that the U.S. is still very much uh, committed to the military part of this war, um, looking to bolster the Afghan government in Kabul after all this time, looking to weaken the Taliban insurgency that's persisted in much of the country, um, but also a very heartening thing for those of us who followed the efforts in an Afghan peace process for a lot of years. Uh, the new administration has also been very interested in seeing whether there's a peaceful way out of this war. Uh, and I think General Mattis's comments reflect that. And it reflects a larger reality that it's very unlikely that any side can win this conflict militarily. So what would require or what would hasten a peaceful withdrawal from Afghanistan for the U.S.? The idea of being able to withdraw is often premised on the idea of a peace agree, an ultimately peace agreement that's the product of a negotiation between the Afghan government and the Taliban insurgency. That has been a long-standing effort by all sides. It has been uh, very difficult to draw the Taliban into meaningful peace talks that show sincerity. But there are enough signs, and we've seen some recently, that the group is interested in some form of political negotiation in which essentially all the factions in Afghanistan can share power in a constructive way. And under those conditions, it's conceivable that the U.S. wouldn't have a specific need to keep troops or troops in large numbers in the country. But all that would ultimately be the product of a negotiation that uh, the end of which would be quite a ways off. Can you really foresee a time when the Taliban would share power? I think it is a proposition that needs to be tested. They will claim consistently and for a number of years that they've learned a lot of lessons from the mistakes and overreach that they committed in the 90s. So, for example, they will claim that 
they were that they erred in hosting Al Qaeda, which we would certainly all agree with that. The, their regime lost everything because of that decision. They will claim to have changed in their perspective on the rights of women or the rights of ethnic minorities. And they will claim that they erred by trying to monopolize power as a single group and that a future Afghanistan needs to be ruled, ruled in some portion by all of its other component parts. That is not something to just trust them on, but it's something that you can test very seriously in a negotiation and build in safeguards theoretically over the course of one uh, to test their willingness to to commit. I, I partly ask that question because of all the interviews I've done with people about Afghanistan, experts like yourself, people who have followed this. One of the things that I keep coming back to is that old expression, you know, the Americans have the watches and we have the time and the Taliban is willing to wait <laughs> and wait and wait until the situation is right for them to take over again. It's true. Uh, For example, one thing that the Taliban have put out for a number of years that has not been acceptable to any American administration is they would like to negotiate the withdrawal of American and foreign troops first and then turn to internal issues, i.e. what would power sharing mean with the government and other political entities in the country. Neither the Bush, nor Obama, nor the Trump administrations trust the Taliban nearly enough to entertain such an idea because there'd be no way to gain satisfaction that the Taliban's real goal wouldn't be to launch a renewed invasion or march on Kabul once the foreign troops were gone. I think it's very implausible that anyone would fall for that. But it might be possible to pair the ultimate issue of troop withdrawals with the many questions about sharing power within the country uh, and to to take no unilateral steps that allow the Taliban a free hand in that regard. And I, I really would stress that everyone has an interest in making a peace process work, but it's the, it's the classic old formula of trust but verify. Now, Johnny Walsh with us, senior expert in Afghanistan at the United States Institute of Peace. And I know that Iraq is not Afghanistan, but you have experience having worked in Iraq, including a year at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. And people have made, uh, you know, you look at the history, for example, General David Petraeus had so much success in Iraq, did not have that same level of success in Afghanistan. And, and in a sense, we see the, the I guess, progress being made in, in Baghdad and in Iraq because there are some institutions that have some respect. Are there institutions in Afghanistan that can stand on their own, absent U.S. support and power? It's hard to say what, what truly would happen to the Afghan government if, if one waved a magic wand and there were no foreign support or involvement. Uh, looking to Afghan history, an awful lot of folks expected the the Afghan communist government to fall as soon as the Soviet Union pulled out. That actually didn't happen. It, surpa- it outlived all expectations with a, a comparatively modest amount of Soviet aid for three years. And when it finally fell, it's because the Soviet Union itself had fallen. So I wouldn't rule the Afghan government out if, for whatever reason, uh, the troops did leave. Comparing it to Iraq, I think that uh, some of the key differences are that the Afghan Taliban are a much larger, more coherent, more unified insurgent group, certainly than any one of the Iraqi groups has ever been. Uh, Iraq was a much more fragmented collection of insurgents, um, often at war with each other as much as they were with us. Afghanistan is also, as you say, it is a poor country. It has fewer institutions. It started from a much less developed place. It's the product of 
now nearly 40 years of continuous war, which have had just a devastating toll on all levels of the country. And it's certainly true that that makes everything harder in Afghanistan. If it's impossible, then the very difficult things already are in Iraq. And the tribal nature of the country as well. Final question here for you, Johnny, and that is the events of, you know, there's been discussion about whether the U.S. needs to pay more attention to Pakistan. But clearly in Afghanistan, if the U.S. were to be gone and if there were to be a vacuum, what are you concerned would fill that vacuum? Is it a resurgent al-Qaeda? Is it the Islamic State, which supposedly is on its way to defeat in Iraq and other parts of the region? What what would be the danger? I think, again, if if the U.S. simply disappeared in military or otherwise, militarily or otherwise from Afghanistan, you would at the very least see a strengthening of the Taliban. They would take over more territory, particularly in the countryside, but there's it's hard to predict where that would stop. And you would see a vast increase in violence, very likely, as as the conflict really heated up between Taliban and government forces. In those conditions, yes, it's absolutely true that the still very dangerous Afghan branch of the Islamic State could flourish. Uh, This is obviously the place where Al-Qaeda achieved its greatest success under in late 90s and leading right up till 9-11. And it's it remain much of the AFPAC border region remains very fertile ground for serious terrorist groups to proliferate. And that, that's at the root why successive administrations have been fairly committed to not allowing that anarchy to resume in Afghanistan. Johnny, thank you. You've given us some useful information. Appreciate your spending time with us today on POTUS. Thanks very much. That is Johnny Walsh. He is a senior expert on Afghanistan at the United States Institute of Peace. As I mentioned, extensive experience, among other things, at the State Department as a lead advisor on the Afghan peace process on the Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs. Also had worked in Iraq and Yemen, the Arabian Peninsula, North Africa. So he knows the region well and of what he speaks. We appreciate him joining us. Again, he's with the United States Institute of Peace, and the Twitter handle is at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.